Welcome to the Health Leader Forge, a joint production of the University of New Hampshire's College of Health and Human Services and the Northern New England Association of Healthcare Executives. My name is Mark Bonica, and I'm a professor here at the University of New Hampshire's Department of Health Management and Policy. Today's guest is Jeff Hughes, the Chief Strategy Officer for Wentworth Douglas Hospital in Dover, New Hampshire. In this podcast, Jeff talks about his career in planning and strategy in a wide variety of healthcare organizations, from community hospitals to teaching hospitals to healthcare systems and even a medical school. Wentworth Douglas has recently gone through the process of becoming an affiliate of Massachusetts General Hospital, and Jeff talks about the lengthy process Wentworth Douglas went through to decide on this strategy. This podcast is a fascinating insight into the reasoning behind the industry-wide trend in consolidation. Thanks for listening, and here is Jeff Hughes. Well, welcome to The Forge, Jeff. Thanks, Mark. Glad to be here. So, for folks not familiar with Wentworth Douglas Hospital, tell us a little bit about the organization. So, Wentworth Douglas Hospital is um, it's, we're licensed for 178 beds. We operate about 120. Um, we are what I would consider to be a regional-based community hospital, but we're a community hospital at our heart. Um, I think we're known for the being a very patient-friendly, patient-focused organization, and it's a key strength that we want to nurture and grow because we think that that's a part of our market differentiation. So we sit in a very competitive marketplace on the seacoast of New Hampshire where it's uh, roughly about 350,000 people on the Seacoast Marketplace served by five hospitals. Uh, we want to make sure that Wentworth Douglas is one of the ones that uh, will remain in perpetuity for the long term. And so that's part of what my role is and how I keep my vision focused. It's all on growth and development. Immediately before you came to Wentworth Douglas, you were working as the Director of Finance and Administration for the University of New England's College of Osteopathic Medicine. How did you come to make the jump to Wentworth Douglas when you did? A recruiting firm, they approached me and said, there's this position open at, um, at Wentworth Douglas Hospital in Dover, New Hampshire. Would I be interested? And I said, no. I said, I'm, I'm really? fine. No. <laughs> I'm, I'm fine where I am. I, you know, as this has been, you know, a two year transition. It's been interesting, but, um, you know, I'd like to stay where, where I am. And, um, and they came back at me and said, well, you know, why don't you, why don't you sit down and meet with Greg? I've heard good things. You know, I went home, talked to my wife. My wife worked at Exeter Hospital, and uh, which is uh, just down the road from Wentworth. And she said, well, I hear good things about it. And I also actually spoke to the CEO of Exeter Hospital and asked him his advice on it. And he said, he said, why don't you go meet with Greg? He's a pretty good guy. And so I said, well, I've got nothing to lose for conversation. So one morning I stopped at the hospital and had a conversation with Greg. And, um, we hit it off and it hit off really well and I made the decision to move and it was the best decision I ever made in my life was to come to Wentworth Douglas. Um, it's been a wonderful experience. So that was 2012. And, and I, maybe I missed it. Was this a, was this a placement, a permanent, an, an attempt by the staffing firm to put you as a permanent placement? No. Or was it a temporary role? No, this was a permanent position. Okay. Yep, they were recruiting for a permanent position. Okay. So um, so you came here in a permanent role. Permanent role, okay. and uh, as the VP of planning. And it was at a time where the ACA had just been passed by Congress, okay. and the, the my predecessor was retiring. He had been here for about 10 years and was a solid planner. And so the Greg asked me two things uh, coming into the organization. One was, 
that um, they um, had a strategic plan that was really focused on the hospital in the past. And it wasn't really strategic. It was more operational. So he wanted me to change it to more of a strategic plan, particularly in light of what was happening with the ACA and how healthcare was changing. And then the other was that the that in the past prior 10 years, the Wentworth Health Partners, which is the organization that employs all the physicians, was growing tremendously. And so, and the foundation also had started a few years earlier, that was growing. And that's the foundation being the organization that raises charitable donations to the organization. And so he said, can we come up with a strategic plan that would cut across the entire organization and not just the hospital? So... So I came in and said, I'd be happy to do that. And I came in with a fresh approach. I said, well, why don't I use this opportunity to not only redesign the uh, uh, the strap planning process, but also as a way for me to get familiar with the organization. So I did what I call the strategic assessment, which we've now adopted every year, where we try to collect as much quantitative information as we possibly can. And we do that in preparation for the strap planning session. So we look at and I wanted to know sort of what was our volume, um, where are we growing, where are we um, losing volume or maintaining volume, what is our financial performance, um, how does that compare to others in the marketplace, um, both locally, uh, statewide, and um, and nationally, if we can get it, quality performance, what's been our track record, what's been our track record in patient satisfaction, and then we looked at, we spent a lot of time looking online about sort of and talking to colleagues and reading about sort of what were the trends in healthcare with the um, ACA, the Affordable Care Act being passed, what was out there in terms of how they thought the impact would be on hospitals and healthcare providers. And we then pulled that together and actually sent that out as a pre-read to um, a team of the executives that we and medical leaders. And, and then we structured the meetings, um, which we've now done every year since, to have that as background, we do a brief overview of that, um, and then we structure the meetings to have discussion about issues. And the way that we approach it here at Wentworth Douglas is that we come up with what we call key strategic questions. What are those key strategic high-level questions that we want to answer through the process? So you have this quantitative baseline, quantitative that baseline. everybody's familiar yep. with. That you're, and is that how is that different than what was happening here before? Maybe in other organizations, is that not something that's done everywhere? To me, it's basic strategic planning, but I don't think that that was happening here at Wentworth prior to that. They had what they call the Plan for Excellence, which was twenty-five initiatives, and they were, as I looked at it, they were loosely aligned with the the underpinnings of their mission pyramids, those are the values of the organization, people, technology, finance, um, and something else. But it, but I was the only person that recognized how it was tied into the overall mission and vision of the organization. Nobody else from the executive team had that connection um, okay. anymore. And the CEO's perspective was there were 25 things that were really not strategic and were not moving the organization forward enough. It sounds like a balanced scorecard kind of. It, it was. It was. They would, And the strength of the organization, though, was on execution. You know, Greg and I often chat about the fact that you can have the best plan in the, in the world 
world on your, but if it's just on the shelf, it's of no value. And so I wanted to take the strengths of their planning process, which really was an execution. And the way that it worked was on a quarterly basis, there were actually reports that went to the executive team and then to the board planning committee to actually track the progress. And so we've built in on that basis and strengthened that to have that kind of accountability. So you, you started adding these strategic questions, you were saying. So what, how did that layer on top of your kind of background baseline um, uh, data collection? So it was, it was actually good. And one of, the, one of the most enjoyable parts of strap planning for me is that we also pose to the group um, uh, what I call wild cards. So we do some what ifs. And in the early days of the ACA, the what ifs were, were crazy. So we were wrestling with, well, what if the, um, what if the ACA at that point, it was a possibility that the Supreme Court would vote it down. So we did what happens if that gets voted down? Um, what does it mean for the organization? Um, there was a debate about whether or not Medicaid would be expanded in New Hampshire. What does that mean for the organization? And from that, we, we set a, a strategic goal, which was a vision, this is back in 2012, was to position Wentworth Douglas to be successful as an accountable care organization. So kind of taking the thrust of the ACA, which was on population health management, on improving the health of the population, and applying that to Wentworth Douglas. We strongly felt at that time, which actually proved to be true, that even if the ACA was voted down, there was a clear direction that CMS, so Medicare and Medicare, were, were headed, as well as where we thought the private insurers were headed, which is to make healthcare organizations accountable for the um, quality of services that they provide and also are responsible for the cost. And so we decided to to position the organization to be successful, to maintain high patient satisfaction, um, maintain and improve quality of care, and then also beginning to wrestle with the question of cost. And so that vision then held for with a little bit of tweaking through the five years of the plan. And, and then as part of that, um, of that visioning, then we had a series of, I guess, a six, six strategies that came out of that, which were broad aspirational strategies. And then we had goals and objectives that we then had under those. And we would assign accountability to an executive leader at the goal level. And they would be responsible then for executing on all the objectives. Um, we tried to move the organization over the five years to have more outcome metric as opposed to process steps in the plan. And Can you explain um, how that's different. So um, the process is is more about a um, an interim step. So for example, let's say we wanted to develop a strategic plan in for cardiovascular services. So a process step would be you're going to pull together a team and you're going to create a plan and it'll be approved by the by the board of the directors. Where an outcome metric is uh, what we tried to evolve to, where it was, yeah, you're going to do the plan, you're going to get it approved, but what you want to do is drive volume. And so at the end of, of the next year, you want to increase your number of, of inpatient discharges or number of cardiac cath procedures by some percentage or some number. And so we tried to move the plan in that direction. And um, by the fifth year, we actually had it driven where we had 116 metrics that we were actually tracking. And we reported on a quarterly basis, again, to the executive team, and then it went to the board planning committee. So just kind of reflecting a little bit, I want to talk a little more about your role here, but but kind of reflecting on your journey from 
BU through Yale and, and your travels to coming to here at Wentworth Douglas. What, what do you feel like your strengths and skills were that you developed over that period, you know, a period leading up to here that, that you brought to the table? I think there were several. I think one of them is I was able to think about the healthcare marketplace strategically. So broadly, strategically, able to synthesize a lot of information and able to communicate effectively to various audiences. So I think those are a couple strengths that I have. In addition to that, I think I've also got through my work primarily with um, with uh, PwC was uh, quantitative analysis in terms of trying to um, take information, analyze it, and um, and then apply it to management decisions. So I think that's been sort of um, key to my strengths as an organization. It's interesting when you when I work with directors uh, throughout this organization or others that a lot of the directors are so focused operationally that they don't see the broader perspective in terms of what's happening with healthcare, how they fit into the organization, and, and what the direction of the organization is. So I found in my role here at Wentworth Douglas that I largely serve as a communicator. So so it's working with the board, uh, educating the board, educating our executive team, facilitating discussions with the executive team, and then also communicating to the entire management team and to employees. So as a prime example, um, I or one of my colleagues in strap planning are at every uh, new employee orientation uh, trying to acquaint them with the overall strategic direction of the organization wow. and how they fit in. Uh, so we have a, and it's part of our, when we update the strap plan on an annual basis, we have a very structured communication plan which follows about how we cascade that down, starting with the board, the executive team, and then to all the management down to the employees. Wentworth Douglas recently went through a process of affiliating with Massachusetts, Massachusetts General Hospital and has become, and as a result, is kind of becoming part of the larger partners organization that you had yep. done some work with previously. Um, what this is obviously in your in your uh, uh, area of responsibility because it's clearly a strategic right. decision. So, what made uh, what made Wentworth Douglas decide that affiliating with a larger organization at this time was advantageous and or or just necessary? That's a good question. This is something that I started on f- um, five years ago when we developed okay. the first strategic plan. So, so you knew right from when you got this was likely the future. Yeah, I, th- I, well, I had the perspective that I knew it would happen eventually. I didn't realize at the time coming in that it was going to be as quick as it was. So we we started by looking at, as we did this strategic assessment for the organization and setting the strategies, one of the strategies that we had was that we knew that if we we're going to be effective in terms of the changes that were coming in the healthcare environment, both the pressures on cost which were increasing, but also the pressures on accountability and transparency for quality of care, patient satisfaction, that we were going to be, and then also coupled with that too, I would say also the additional skill sets that we would need to have on board to help us manage population health effectively was something that we haven't done before and not something that healthcare has done before. So that we would need to eventually become part of something larger to get the size and scale we would need to be successful. And it was a bit of a hurdle, I think, for the organization because Wentworth Douglas Hospital 
has been and is very successful. And um, in fact, in 2016, we had the highest operating margin of any hospital in the state of New Hampshire. And so we spent actually, I would say, a good four solid years educating the board and educating medical leaders and uh, management staff here about what were the changes that were coming in healthcare, how were healthcare organizations across the country responding to that, what might be the opportunities for um, for Wentworth Douglas. And the way I could have characterized it now in retrospect is the first question we had to get over was, given the changes that were coming down in healthcare, could Wentworth Douglas remain a standalone community hospital um, in the long run? In other words, could we continue with our mission, which is to improve the health of the population of our community? And so it's all about the long-term viability of the organization to fulfill its mission. And, and so we, so we educated the board. I did a lot of work myself in terms of educating the board. We brought in several outside consultants to uh, get their perspective on what was happening in healthcare and what was happening in New Hampshire. The messages were all the same. And it took a while to educate the board, which is largely a lay board. We found, though, that a lot to Greg's credit and the board is that they, the organization invested in their education. So we, we educated them at every board meeting. In fact, we restructured the board meeting five years ago to have the first hour of the meeting focused on strategy discussions and, um, and education. And we used the existing uh, planning committee, which is a monthly meeting, uh, hour and a half, for strategic discussions about these issues to educate. We also, on a regular basis, send our board out to outside um, educational programs to uh, let them hear directly from experts in the field and to interact with others in the field. And so our board, I think that investment paid off and then our board is fairly well informed about what's happening across the industry. So we, we went through that and then it kind of got them to agree that healthcare was changing rapidly. And if we were going to be successful, we do need to be part of something larger. And then the question came up of then, all right, well, who do we affiliate with and when do we make the decision? And so going back to 2012, we had sort of a parallel process where I and my staff um, pulled together what we called a, a strategic affiliation analysis, where we looked at every combination under the sun for all the players and every single combination. And then we worked through all of them. We did profiles of all the organizations on the seacoast. We did profiles of all of the major um, academic medical centers throughout New England and said, you know, where, where would be the sweet spot? What would work? What would be the criteria we would evaluate? What were our objectives? What was the path that we should follow? Uh, we also really also depended upon the insights of our board. We got a lot of board members that were focused on the community as they should be. There were other board members that were there that brought financial strengths, that brought business and industry strengths, um, including um, several bankers who had been through consolidations, a Fortune 500 CEO that was on the board that talked about sort of mergers and acquisitions. And so we brought their perspectives and their talents to the discussion. And we were open to their ideas, their perspectives, and we tried our best to inform and educate and to guide them along. And um, it was interesting. When it came down to it, we were looking at two options after going through all the iterations. The, one of them was, could we form a New Hampshire-based healthcare system 
And the other option was, could we join um, Mass General Partners? And we already had a, um, I was like an eight year, I think at that point, clinical affiliation with Mass General where we actually had seen some benefits where we had um, clinical subspecialists from MGH coming up to Wentworth and providing services. Case in point being Dr. John Shorgay, who is the chief of um, GYN oncologic surgery, so a highly specialized uh, service. And he was actually spending um, two to three days a week here treating women who before had to travel to Boston uh, or to Portland or to Dartmouth or other areas to get the surgery. Now we're doing it here. And over the five years that he was here, he treated over a thousand women that actually had surgery here. And then for those very complex surgeries where we weren't equipped to handle it, he would then do their pre-surgical work here bring them down to Mass General, he would perform the surgery, and then they would come back and recuperate back in the, in the community and he would follow their care. So that has been one example of, of the benefits of being part of Mass General. So when it came down to it, we although we liked the idea of a New Hampshire-based healthcare system, we felt that the imperatives of the changing healthcare environment, that the time it would take for us to build a New Hampshire healthcare system we felt we would still need to be part of a academic medical center. And really drawing on advice from our board, they said, let's focus on the end game. Where do we want to be down the road? And we made the decision that Mass General is the only and best partner for us in the long run. Again, to um, our mantra through the, through the affiliation was strengthen, enhance, and grow. It was all about growth and strengthening what we did. And we felt that MGH had already demonstrated the value to our community and to the board for that. And so that was where we wanted to end up. And then if we end up creating a New Hampshire-based system after that, then that's great. But this is where we want to be. We also felt, too, that coming in now, we add a full range of options in front of us that we could affiliate with anyone because there was not consolidation in the marketplace. And we had looked at other examples in other markets where hospitals perhaps that were strong community hospitals at the time decided that they didn't need to become part of a larger system. But because they waited, their options were limited down the road. So we looked at Winchester Hospital in Massachusetts as a prime example. Very strong, well-respected community hospital, doing well financially. They remained independent for a long time while Partners Healthcare System was formed, while Beth Israel was, and Deaconess was forming, while Caritas was forming, while Leahy was forming. And when it came time for them, because realizing that they needed to be part of something larger, they were actually precluded from even talking to MGH. Now, I don't know whether that was in their interest, but they went with Leahy because that was really their only strategic option at that point. And so we said that we wanted to have the full range of options and make our best choice now. Mm -hmm. So we sort of went down that road. We also felt, too, that bringing a strong community hospital with a very strong and solid medical staff, a strong quality score, a strong patient satisfaction, and a very healthy bottom line would put us in a better situation for negotiation. Um, and so through that, through that positioning allowed us to negotiate a favorable affiliation agreement with Mass General. So we're very pleased with that. Yeah. I've heard that kind of line of reasoning from a couple of other senior leaders in large community hospitals, the idea of, of um, wanting to negotiate from a position of strength right. rather than a rather weakness, than desperation. Yeah, a weakness. You mentioned the New Hampshire option. What, 
Can you share a little bit about what that would have looked like? Yeah, we had um, the hospital had uh, was one of the founding members of Granite Healthcare Network. So Granite was an organization that included uh, Wentworth Douglas, Concord Hospital, initially Elliott Hospital, and then through the years, Elliott migrated out and Catholic came in, um, Southern New Hampshire Health System, and uh, Lakes Region. And that organization was a shared services organization, so it was co-owned by the five hospitals. And we started by by consolidating our purchasing power to enhance our ability to negotiate prices with vendors to get better pricing. We did a reference laboratory to save money in that regard. Uh, they did an offshore um, malpractice insurance carrier to save money in terms of, of going out to the commercial market for malpractice. And so it had a lot of promise. And the question was whether or not that organization or some subset of that organization might be able to form a healthcare system. And so that was the New Hampshire option that we began to explore and look at. Okay. Um, but it was a bit, bit trying because each of the organizations had their own perspective in terms of what they saw as their future. And so we couldn't coalesce around what would be a, a viable option for us. And these that sounds like kind of a merger of equals. I mean, you're, there are differences clearly right. in size and, and but you're all community hospitals. You're all that's right. Similar delivery capabilities. Similar, not not yes. identical. Yes. Yep. So it would have been kind of a horizontal merger rather than kind of this vertical uh, merger. So you wouldn't necessarily have picked up additional capability. You would have maybe uh, managed volume um, and some other maybe yeah. sharing sharing resources. Yeah, that's exactly the point. Um, when it came down to it, we said if if our strategic drive is strengthen, enhance, and grow, we found that there was very little that we could. It would it would take time to develop the capabilities to realize that benefit, starting from scratch as being a merger of equals. So, for example, John Shorge, the GYN oncologist I spoke about earlier, could we with that scale? Could we hire that physician and? Could we then share them on the hospitals and afford okay. to keep him as a full-time doctor? I mean, we talked about that, although the geographic distance was a challenge. But we felt really that if, if we wanted the size and scale, we wanted to have the connection to the AMC, and we wanted to strengthen, enhance, and grow, that again, all options arrows seem to point to Mass General. So yeah. it was a very, I mean, it sounds very simple now. It was a very, iterative and um, uh, process a lot of discussion over the time, but um, ultimately it, it led to sort of um, the most logical conclusion. This, this model that you had with Mass General prior to the, to the affiliation with uh, the clinical affiliation where they were sending a physician, yeah. a high, highly skilled physician up uh, to do work, and then sometimes he or she would do the work at your facility, sometimes he would do the, the kind of main procedure at back at Mass General. That's that's a model that they're using, Mass General is using in several places. Is that correct? That's correct. Um, so what's the attraction? So I see the attraction for, for the community hospital. I think you've made that clear. Like person does pre-op, post-op stuff here. Um, you retain some of the... Um, you retain some of the care here. Some of the care is able to stay in the community. What's the benefit to Mass General of engaging in those uh, relationships? Um, uh, there are a couple. I think one of them is that um, Mass General is a world-renowned center, and they actually start each day with between 50 and 100 patients in their ED that are waiting for beds. 
and they um, are committed to their teaching mission, but they want to have the right kind of, of patient volume there. Uh, Mass General, although it's a tertiary hospital, also serves as a primary community hospital to the residents of, um, of that area of Boston. So the attraction for them is to allow ultimately for care to be treated in the community and then to funnel the very um, high-end tertiary and quaternary services to Mass General where it's the most appropriate location for those services. What we're trying to get up to is to work with them on repatriation, so taking those patients that um, are transferred down to Mass General, but then bringing them back to the community at an earlier stage than, than they would do now, okay. um, so more complex cases and treat them in the community. So it's also a way for them to, um, to uh, serve as a feeder, certainly for the organization, but to reach out and to actually hire additional manpower, so to, to hire more of the John Shoregaze types with skills skills that they can also have at Mass General, but also through their network and a larger scale, have that as part of their cadre of, of skilled clinicians and um, part of their armamentarium. So it's a way for them to grow their providers and enhance their, their mission. What's been interesting, though, is that Mass General also sees it that's obviously the size and scale option. So although they Although we reach out to them to start the clinical affiliation, they look at it as keeping sort of their options open for the future. And when we looked at the affiliation with them, that was not something that they drove. It was something that we drove. We approached them about it. So it keeps their sort of their connection to the community for appropriate referrals and to strengthen um, services locally in the community. So it's a natural fit. Yeah. A related question, I'm, I'm involved in teaching a course over at UNH right now on telehealth. I'm curious uh, your thoughts on telehealth, how that's Im- Im- emerging, evolving, uh, and kind of how that fits into this. I see that as kind of a, a, a related uh, opportunity for you know, a facility like Mass General to take advantage of their of their highly trained physicians without actually physically sending them out to the field. Are you seeing that evolving? Is that something that you see having a significant impact on the future? Yeah, we look at it actually more broadly, Mark. Um, we, in thinking about about telehealth, we put it in the context of increasing access. We spent a lot of time over the past several years looking at an ambulatory care strategy, which is really focused around access, care coordination, and growth. And so uh, out of that strategy, we have um, two urgent care centers and two prompt care centers. So it's offering choice in the marketplace. So in addition to the ER for complex services, there's urgent care facilities, which provide a step-down level for that and a decrease in price. But we also have prompt care, which is more the walk-in ambulatory care trade that we provide. It's to provide choice in the marketplace at different price points. Part of that approach also is how do we increase access? How do we better coordinate care, especially in the area of population health management? And how do we grow our covered lives to remain as a necessary and uh, vital part of the healthcare marketplace on the seacoast of New Hampshire. And so as part of that strategy, we see telehealth as being a way to reach out to consumers to provide them with choice in how they access care. So we actually started a a pilot in telehealth at our facility, a prompt care facility in Pease that we opened uh, about a year and a half ago. 
and we just started the pilot and we're finding that there is still, at least in this marketplace, a little bit of resistance to using the telehealth. Um, some resistance from our providers, but mostly from how it's perceived by the customers. We thought there would be a real um, clamoring for that type of interaction, but there still seems, at least on the seacoast here, to be uh, an interest that if someone is ill, they want a face-to-face -face encounter with their uh, primary care provider. But we're still committed because we think that that's where healthcare is going and we've got to be able to have that kind of vehicle to provide needed healthcare services. So a lot of interesting things happening strategically in, in healthcare. Um, I, I was uh, doing some research for this interview and I came across an article where you were quoted uh, talking about the merger of two of our uh, community health centers. And uh, you commented that in my 30 years in healthcare, I believe this to be one of the most challenging periods we've ever seen. So kind of in conclusion, maybe give us some highlights. What, what is it that is making now such a complex um, and uh, challenging period? I think it's a, it's a couple things. I think one of them is the uncertainty about, about federal payment and for healthcare on a number of different fronts. I think one is the it's a change by the federal government to no longer fund Medicare and Medicaid to the levels that they had in the past. They've been unable to, to really bend the cost curve, and they're trying to control the expense for the country. And so a lot of uncertainty about um, what type of support will be out there, and not only for payment to providers, but they're also cutting back in terms of their support of um, teaching. Um, so medical teachings are residents um, and, uh, and fellows and nurses, just that whole focus on medical education, which has helped make the healthcare system in the U.S. one of the best in the world. Um, and also their cutback on um, research funding um, and their commitment to that, which has been a stalwart of, um, of the U.S. for years. Coupled with that is, is, the, is the recognition that healthcare is expensive. And we as leaders, as providers in the organization, need to figure out a way to bend that cost curve. And so I think the challenges that we're facing are, are growing. Uh, as reimbursement gets cut, down, cut back, as health insurers look to shift financial risk onto providers, something that we haven't had to deal with, uh, rightly or wrongly, but that's a real change for us. And so it's what emerges out of that equation will be a whole new healthcare system. I think additional levers that are providing pressure are the growth of consumerism that people are changing the way that they that they approach healthcare in terms of purchasing it. The rise of high deductible health plans, for example, is putting more out-of-pocket uh, costs onto the consumer. And so we really think that healthcare is moving away from an entitlement to more of a commodity where consumers are actually going to beginning to look at how they perceive value and then uh, equating that value to price point and making decisions. Because of the turmoil going on then within the industry itself and with changing consumer habits, it's also a very disruptive time where new entities, new providers are coming into the marketplace with new ideas and disrupting it. So a challenge of being in a community hospital is sometimes we need to think outside the box. We're wedded to the idea of having a hospital as the primary locus of care, covering the overhead to provide 24-7 ER care, 
and um, and other services that don't pay for themselves and cover the cost of the infrastructure, uh, while at the same time trying to move care out into the marketplace and um, at a price point that is affordable to the market is a real challenge. And I think we as leaders need to focus on how we're going to meet that challenge and to successfully provide needed healthcare services to our community to go bring it back to our mission of improving the health of our community. So. It's a very challenging time, the most I've ever seen in healthcare in my 30 years, and I've been through a lot of change. Thank you so much for your time today. This has been very interesting. Thanks, Mark. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to the Health Leader Forge, a joint production of the College of Health and Human Services at the University of New Hampshire and the Northern New England Association of Healthcare Executives. Please go to our website, healthleaderforge.org, for more information or to leave comments about today's podcast. Look for Health Leader Forge podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and other podcast distribution sites. Thanks for being a part of the Health Leader Forge community, and we'll talk with you again in about two weeks.